Do you ever feel like your spiritual health is complicated by your spiritual vocation? We talk a lot on this podcast about the toll ministry can take on us as pastors and ministry leaders. And there are a growing number of us that are struggling with debilitating stress, anxiety, depression, and a whole host of other signs that we're struggling with our spiritual health. Well, today what I want to do is I want to have a, bring in a special guest uh, who has written an incredible book with so many practical insights and wisdom nuggets that I've highlighted almost every word that I've read. And in this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to him about how our spiritual health and ministry leadership can and should work together so that we can be the men and women that we've been called to be and we can lead in such a way that others can follow. So let's get started. So the big question is this, how do pastors like us who remain focused on the mission of Jesus and serving our communities without being distracted by everything in the world around us, how do we increase our effectiveness while living a lifestyle that doesn't compromise our health, our families, or our personal relationships with Jesus? That's the question this podcast is going to answer. I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper, and welcome to the Ministry Hackers Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Ministry Hackers Podcast. I hope you're doing wonderfully wherever you are and whatever it is you're doing as you're listening to the podcast. For those who may not know, I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper. I'm the founder and the host here at the Ministry Hackers Podcast, and I hope that this podcast is reaching you well. I, well. Our goal here at Ministry Hackers is to help you live your dream life in ministry. Whatever that looks like, however God's designed it, we want to help you live that dream life in ministry. And let me ask you a question. It's summer, and what vacation are you taking this summer? My family and I, we are going to take a vacation to Pennsylvania. Uh, our plan is to uh, spend some time in Pennsylvania, see some family, um, possibly go to Virginia and see the mountains. And maybe if we're lucky, lucky, we're going to go to the beach just for a couple of days. But what I know is that many of you listening aren't going to take a vacation this summer because there are too many things going on, too many events, too many uh, responsibilities, too many people needing your time and energy and attention and your church just can't afford to let you go for a few days. And unfortunately, that's a good sign that you're not living your dream life in ministry. And if that's the case, I want to invite you this summer. What I want you to do is I want you to come alongside with me and let's discover what your dream life in ministry looks like. Uh, God has designed one for you. It's out there somewhere. And I believe that God has designed a life for you where you are fulfilled, where you are refreshed, where you are at peace, where you're in touch with God, in touch with your family and living a life that is um, full of joy and full of compassion and full of a lot more fun than most of us live. And so I want to challenge you to go to ministryhackers.com slash mydreamlife and see how you and I can partner together over this summer and discover what your dream life in ministry looks like. Again, go to ministryhackers.com slash mydreamlife and you can learn all about it right there. Sign up and let's get started living your dream life by the end of this summer. Now, I am so excited to have today's guest join us on the Ministry Hackers podcast today. He's pastored in California, Canada, Minnesota, and now is in Missouri. He's the author of the book, Lead So Others Can Follow, 12 Practices and Principles to Ministry, and he has served as a general secretary of the Assemblies of God in between two pastorates at Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri. Most importantly to me, though, is that he's been my family's pastor for over 15 years, even though we've lived all over the country in that time. I want to welcome to the Ministry Hackers podcast, 
Pastor Jim Bradford. Welcome, Pastor Jim. Brandon, it is wonderful to see you again. Uh, I miss the times we would have having coffee together when you used to live here in Springfield. <laughs> and uh, uh, so and so grateful for this wonderful podcast you're doing. I, I give my greetings to the whole Ministry Hackers family as well. And uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this. I thought, you know, when we first connected was so many years ago. And um, and I think at that point, I think I was the janitor at Central Assembly and I was, you know, wanting to get into ministry. And um, and I had asked you to just uh, sit down with me and you graciously did. I can't remember if it was every month or how often it was. But I would send you all these questions and you would, you know, walk through the questions with me and give me such great wisdom. And and so I'm so thankful for that <laughs> over the years, just the ability to sit down and talk. And it's actually a lot of times what I encourage um, a lot of young pastors to do is to find someone to mentor. And I know it's so hard to ask. I remember even wanting to ask you uh, was, you know, it was nerve wracking and, you know, I wasn't sure if you'd have the mm -hmm. time. But I'm so glad that I did. And I think that so many other young pastors should just try, just ask if, you know, even if they say no, just try, because there's always someone who will say yes. And so, yeah, so thankful for that, that season of, of my life and my early ministry. <laughs> yeah, you are always uh, great. You know, it does help uh, in the kind of role you wanted me to fill to, to not have to do all the thinking for you. You always ask great questions. Sometimes I think, when we're young, we can sometimes develop bad habits as leaders of always talking much more than we listen. Yes. And uh, you, you really flipped that script, and I always respected you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. So I'm excited to talk about this book. Um, so the book is Lead So Others Can Follow, Tour Practices and Principles for Ministry. And as I mentioned in the intro, I have highlighted at least 50% of the book. Um, because there's so many great nuggets and wisdom and so many great insights in it. What um, what was it that compelled you to write the book in the first place? Well, thank you for your kind kind comments on it. I, I was working under the assumption that the last thing we needed in the Christian world was another book on leadership. And I was spending a uh, oh, kind of a part of a day with the Lord. I knew something was scratching at my spirit around writing. Mm -hmm. It's not something that comes really naturally to me. I'd already published two shorter books in my role as general secretary, but um, I, I was praying and uh, just thinking, and all of a sudden, I, I just felt like the Lord asked me to write a book, kind of compiling some of the things I was doing at pastors' conferences and leadership conferences. And um, as happens once in a while when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm pacing, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I can see an outline in my head. And uh, believe it or not, I saw the outline of the book. I, I was just praying. And I could tell. I just began to feel this compulsion to, to get some of the stuff I was teaching down on paper. And 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 I saw this outline all of a sudden. And, and I just knew I was supposed to do it. And uh, the book has four sections to it. Um, spirituality, uh, strategies, skills, and then stamina. And, uh, and I just saw those four, those categories had three chapters, each 12 chapters. And, it, you know, I did have, I, I did maybe spend a half hour tweaking some of the chapter titles, but it just came like that. And I just felt like, I mean, the book's far from inspired, but I just felt like it was an assignment. Yeah. And at that point, I just, 
I thought this would just probably be a Word document on my hard drive. But um, then the Assemblies of God uh, found out I was writing this. They looked at it and they said this could be a resource for yeah. for for leaders. So uh, I, I think the secondary reason was uh, was I, I did want to, if I was going to write it, I wanted to write it in a way that would be helpful with team leaders um, themselves mentoring uh, either paid staff or key volunteer leaders yeah. in the in the local church. So that's really what it's at. at it's aimed at, and it's it, as you noticed, it's not a very long book. Every chapter's less than three thousand words. Mm-hmm. I write it a little bit like the engineer, which was my training when I went to college, and uh, so you know it's got uh, it's got bullet points and lists and things. Yeah. And the idea is that maybe one chapter a month over twelve months a year, it, it could just be a way just a, a tool for some year for leadership enrichment for your team. Yeah. Well, and it, it's easily digestible. That's the thing I love, you know, I love books that are, um, that are concise and, com- and compacted and, and full of just great insight. And so that's one of the things I love about your book. And, you know, we talk a lot on here about living your dream life and ministry. And one of the primary steps in that is, developing a highly productive staff and investing into them. And so that's another reason why I love this book is because there's such a strong focus in how we, not how we pastor as much as how much, how we lead those who are directly following us and, you know, direct reports and that kind of thing. So it's, it's one of the things I loved about that. Thank you. Uh, that, uh, I, I was hoping that could be one of the outcomes of the book. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I didn't think we needed another book on leadership, and I wrote it reluctantly. But um, I, I appreciate. It. I'm doing a podcast on this too. You know, we're we've done over fifty now, and uh, we're only three fourths of the way through the book. But we are slowly working through the book. So, um, you know, I, I kind of get dragged into all this kicking and screaming, screen, uh, but uh, but. Thank you for your, your kind comments. And, and I do hope the book is helpful. For it folks. is. Well, and I'll be honest with you. So years ago, years and years ago, when we, so when Chris and I were attending Central and, you know, you were our pastor, I remember turning to her and saying, I really hope he writes books because there is so much that he has that so few can actually access. And so from, from my end, I'm thankful that you reluctantly wrote this book. <laughs> Thank you, Brittany. <laughs> so as pastors and ministry leaders, we always feel this tension between being led by the Spirit and then practicing good leadership principles and practices. And so your book kind of challenges that tension a little bit and makes the case that our spirituality is really central to who we are as leaders and how we practice leadership. And so why is it important? Why do you think it's important for pastors and ministry leaders to understand how to integrate their spirituality into their leadership approach? Yeah, and that has become a very core passion of mine. Again, um, when I was pastoring in Southern California, I, I, I got uh, I got to know um, I got to know a ministry leader who worked in church development at Fuller Seminary Ministerial Formation, and uh, he 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 really helped me uh, with this. And he actually wrote a book on uh, spiritual formation for leaders, and in it he says. Um, you know, we tend to have two rooms that we, two compartments we put le- um, uh, pastoral ministry leaders in. One's he called the leadership room, and the other is the soul room. Mm-hmm. The leadership room, of course, full of people who love leadership. They have their own books they read. They have their own conferences. They have their own vocabulary. And the other is the soul room. These would maybe be a little bit more reflective people. 
they have their own um, vocabulary and they have their own conferences. And he said, what the church is doing to leaders right now is that we're tending to put type A people into the leadership room, more reflective people into the soul room. Yeah. And, uh, and we are, the church is forcing people to make a choice between right. leadership and spirituality. And um, I, I, I just, I, I, I just think that we are a long way away at that point from the model ministry we see in the New Testament. Actually, you see prayer, fasting, healing, deliverance, evangelism. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't see the kind of things even I wrote in the strategy section in, 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 in the second section of my book. Although I, I tried to just take all, you know, biblical principles, but um, I, I worry that that we have defaulted a little too much towards leadership, not enough towards spirituality. I, I tell our staff team all the time, it's one of our core values as a staff team, that we're doing a marriage every day. It's the marriage of excellence and anointing. Mm. And excellence would be leadership room stuff. It'd be, um, it'd be, you know, stewardship. It'd be doing the best we can. Let's not do what we do sloppy. Let's keep doing what we do better. But it's counterintuitive because anointing means excellence at its best is not enough. I mean, there have to be things happening in our ministry lives where results are happening that we can't personally account for by virtue of the way we spent our time that week or the programs we implemented. The Lord uses them all and we do them with excellence. But I, I worry that there's been too much of a drift towards leadership. That's why I didn't think we needed another book on leadership um, in, in the church because I uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church. He didn't say, you will build my church. And right. that kind of partnership, that marriage of excellence and anointing, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty passionate about this point in my life. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I also think that, you know, when we focus too much on our leadership, we can then also focus too much on church growth and not people growth. Right. Whereas if we're experiencing a spiritual growth in ourselves and our relationship with God, then it helps us remain focused on what we're called to do is to grow people and bring them closer to Jesus, not grow numerically, not grow buildings, not grow ministries, that kind of thing. And so. Yeah, exactly. Our, our metrics can, can be, be wrong. You want to, you want to, if, if you're, if you're asking the wrong questions, you're uh, up a Creek without a battle. Yeah. <laughs> you got to answer the wrong questions. And if you're measuring the wrong things, you know, yeah. I mean, I realized a few years ago, I think I've told you this probably several times, but a number of years ago, I, uh, I was, uh, it struck me that even with preaching, you know, you work on, you know, am I getting response? Uh, am I getting past another Sunday? Am I going to get better at this? And I realized I never stopped and asked, asked the question, if people listen to me preach for five years, let's say they're in the church, I pastor for five years, mm. what would I want their lives to look like? Mm, that's good. You know? And of course, it's more than just tithing or church attendance. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so when I started with spiritual formation goals and you start building metrics more around spiritual formation yeah. goals than the other more measurable things, easier to measure things and work backwards from there. It really, I, I started becoming much more, I think, applicational in preaching and, and things because I'm really after, you know, we are all after spiritual formation, people who increasingly look like Jesus. Right. Uh, yeah, but, um, but what we measure sometimes isn't right exactly in that ball game. Right. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times attendance and budgets and all those things, a lot of times those are laggard 
metrics mm-hmm. that aren't really a good you know representation of the spiritual growth and development of people and so right yeah they are symptomatic uh, metrics yes mm-hmm. yeah exactly and so you know it makes logical sense and i'm sure a lot of people that aren't in ministry just kind of assume that as pastors and ministry leaders we have this whole integration between spirituality and leadership figured out but the reality is is it's probably more on the opposite end where we really struggle marrying these two things together um, in the book, you make this reassuring statement that ministry leadership doesn't have to be toxic to our spiritual health. Why do you think this is so challenging for us as pastors? Um, I was reading a book a number of years ago by Charles, uh, by uh, by James Stewart. He's an old Scottish preacher of a previous generation. And he has one paragraph in which he surveyed the, la- the, the landscape of spiritual leadership. And, and he said the Pharisees had externalized religion. The Sadducees, I mean, the scribes had professionalized religion. The Sadducees and their cynicism about the supernatural had secularized religion. And the Zealots had politicized or nationalized religion. Mm, And so on my first reading, I thought, that is brilliant. On the second reading, it hit me right between the eyes. (laughs) And I said, that's exactly what vocational ministry can do to me. Yeah. If Mm. I'm not careful. Yeah. It can externalize me, professionalize me. And boy, there's a lot of things that can just, you see the underbelly of people's lives. I mean, there's a lot that can make you cynical and there's a lot that can make you way too political. Right. And, yep. and, and so it just hit me that, that, that this, uh, this whole beast, <laughs> this whole monster of this amazing, wonderful calling we have to follow Jesus, uh, eats us alive spiritually because it replaces uh, personal intimacy with Jesus with performance that can begin to put our emphasis on all, all the wrong things. Yeah. I, I hit the wall on this when I was 29 years old, actually. I got my PhD when I was 26 started um, and started a church when I was 27, but that church had just doubled in size. And I was honestly praying two hours every day. And um, But I mean, I was starting to get beat up by this stuff. I didn't know why. And I was being successful and I thought being spiritual and, uh, um, the Lord gave me this picture of uh, married couples that divorce after 25 years of marriage. And I was still single. I couldn't imagine why that could happen. Right. But when the last child leaves the house, they hit empty nests, they look at each other and realize they're living with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And it was like Jesus said to me, that's like you and me, Jim. Sure, you pray two hours a day, but all we do is talk about the kids, right. the spiritual wow. kids. Uh, it's like we don't even know each other anymore. And uh, I had to dial back some outside speaking. I felt like the Lord asked me to give him every Saturday night to go on a date with him of all things. <laughs> and, and, and the one thing that seemed off limits was praying for the church. I mean, how do you spend two or three hours with the Lord and you can't pray for what you, right. for, for what you're leading. Wow. And it took me six months to recover the joy of just knowing Jesus mm. that, uh, of, that a handful of years of very successful ministry robbed me of. Wow. Because it can externalize you, you know, you know, the old cliches, uh, you know, your, your work for Jesus replaces your walk with Jesus. But yeah. that is a constant battle. And and ministry activity really redefines spiritual intimacy, spiritual life for us sometimes. And and it's like it's like that couple that everything they did had to do with the kids. And, yeah. and I realized they didn't know each other anymore. 
Jesus loved me even when I was on Saturday nights doing nothing for him, productive. I mean, I was still his treasure and he wanted to show that to me. And he he wanted me to live out of a different center in that intimacy with him. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. And so true. Like, it's so easy to get caught into that. It's so easy to get, you know, the demands and, you know, you have so many people wanting something from you and looking to you and relying on you. And even, you know, as leaders, it's hard to... It's hard to separate people's need for us. A lot of times our need to be needed. And then we inadvertently become the answer rather than pointing them to Jesus and letting him become the answer and letting us not let them become our answer. And we look to him as well. And so. Exactly. Yeah. And we're really getting to the motivational structure under what we do Mm -hmm. and it needs to be him, Uh, not a need to be needed. I mean, why? I think I think we all have to really wrestle with the question. If we're going to get any of this straight, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, God called me, yeah, but but I mean, yeah, but I mean, okay, God called me, but but what else is going on inside? And if the answer is me, this is why I'm doing this for me, <laughs> um, um, or or if the answer is because I love. You know, I find leadership very intoxicating. There's a, you know, there's a lot of frustrating demands with it, but, but it's very intoxicating. You, you get to influence whole groups of people on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of adrenaline in leadership. Yeah. I find that intoxicating. And I worried a few years ago that I was actually starting to love leadership more than I love Jesus. Wow. And, uh, you know, I had to go back to when I was 29 years old and <laughs> make sure I keep like, like the why behind all this, the ultimate why is Jesus glory. And I love him yes. and, um, yes. and I'm doing this for him. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and that's what, one of the things that I love about the book is I love that that comes out, you, you know, not only your passion for Jesus and the desire to be close to him, but also the encouragement and the challenge to the readers to do the same. And so, you know, and the book is built on these, um, Uh, these maxims for spiritual leadership is what I came to know them as. And I actually still have, I think from 2007, maybe I have have this card that you gave us the maxims Mm -hmm. for spiritual leadership, first Timothy four, 11 through 16. And so, and this is essentially what the book is then built off of is these maxims. And so for you, you know, you, you come across this passage how did you decide that this was foundational for you as not as a pastor necessarily, but as an individual and as a follower of Christ, like how did you decide that these were foundational for you moving forward? I think first Timothy four is the best leadership chapter in the Bible in the new Testament, at least. And so I was, uh, uh, I, when I was pastoring in Southern California, I used to take Mondays, a couple Mondays a month just to get away from the office, kind of study and reflect and I, for some reason, I was just really, I was just really into chapter four, first Timothy that day. And I, I landed on that. I noticed the verbs were getting stronger the farther you got towards the end of the chapter, like be diligent in these things. And I mean, the verbs got very strong. And then it culminates in verse 16, the last verse, where Paul says to Timothy, pay close attention to your life and to your doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now, his assignment was to correct false doctrine. So I took his doctrine as his ministry task. Pay close attention to your life and your doctrine, because if you do, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. 
and the self-interest in me immediately responded like, yeah, I would kind of like to survive my calling. <laughs> you know? and, and there may have been some deal because he was, he was correcting false doctrine that was leading people away from Jesus. So it might have even been theological, like, you know, unlike many high profile leaders right now who are renouncing the faith and walking yes. away from Jesus, worship pastors, mm-hmm. pastors. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to, by the time I die, I, I mean, when I die, I like to be saved. I'm not an eternal security person, and I'd like to be saved. So it's probably a little of that. But I really took it as survival. If you pay close attention to your life and to your task, you will both save yourself right. and those who hear you. Those who hear you will thrive. So that fascinated me. So then the engineer in me kicked in. I said, I thought to myself, I wonder if I could synthesize down what it would mean for me to pay close attention to my life. And then to my task, I wonder if I could synthesize it down into little two word phrases that I could actually put on a business card, because what you write down, you can reproduce. And, right. and maybe I'd want to share that with my with my leadership teams at church and you know, have them hold my feet to the fire on this. And these would be good for them. So my uh, the my life side of that card, uh, seven little two word phrases, which is chapter one in my book. Uh you know, the first two, I think, apply to all of us. It's know God and pursue integrity. Mm-hmm. The next five are more a little, I, I think they have application to all of us, but they're a little bit more um, my vulnerabilities. I mean, when I when I hear Paul say to Timothy, pay close attention to your life, what does that mean for me? Right. And those are the things, if I don't pay attention to those, those things can slip. Mm-hmm. So I do encourage people to write their own list and I hope knowing God and pursuing integrity will be at the top of their list too. But from there on, it's a little bit more free market. Like, right. like, like given who you are, what are the things you just need to really keep an eye on in your life? The other side of that card is my task. And that's, that's sort of my functional philosophy of ministry. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Well, and I've carried it around for, you know, what, 15, almost 15 years now. Oh, um, sure, yeah. So, so yeah, it's been helpful, incredibly helpful. And so I love the book. And again, that's partially why, just because it expounds on that and goes deeper. And so, okay, to shift gears just a little bit, um, you have a pretty good national sense of ministry around the country. You see what's happening in other areas, in other, you know, pockets here and there. We try at Ministry Hackers, we try to be very forward thinking, future, you know, try and be innovative, those kinds of things. So from your perspective and what you're seeing, what shifts are you seeing in ministry that, uh, you know, that we as pastors, ministry leaders listening here on Ministry Hackers, that we need to be aware of, need to prepare for, or maybe just need to start um, gaining an understanding of uh, as we're moving forward? Yeah. Um, uh, we need to stay on to the, the, the shift in social consciousness issues, mm-hmm. and we need to be able to address true biblical moral issues, which include life issues, racism, Mm -hmm. justice issues. We need to more, I think, we're going to need to more holistically address those issues from a biblical kingdom point of view without giving up the Great Commission. And I think that's going to be an incredibly challenging thing. I mean, we want social justice, we want to feed the hungry. We're mandated to do all those things. But the fact is, uh, people are also lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I worry that we're eclipsing, we're, re- we're replacing a verbalized gospel with good works. And good works don't always lead people to Jesus. Right. But there are eternal issues to knowing Jesus. Yeah. And so um, 
I think I, I think knowing how to integrate. I've had three letters in the last week and a half, um, just about probably probably people feeling like, Pastor, we need to, you know, I don't know that we're hitting the nuance right. How we're talking about homosexuality, how we're talking about how we're doing diversity right now in our church right. and things. I mean, people are are extremely conscious, and we can't turn a blind eye or live in denial about that. Right. And yet, we can't just so immerse ourselves in in that world. And and you know, there's all kinds of labels. There's Republican and Democrat. There's progressive and conservative. I mean, I stay away from all those labels. I never connect those kind of dots. I try to stay as apolitical as possible. But it's getting harder. It's getting harder. Yeah. Everything got politicized in the pandemic, so that's mm -hmm. it. I think the other big challenge. There's two other quick challenges. One is uh, rebuilding out of the pandemic, which is, which which is which which has uh, created a whole parts of our congregation we don't know if we'll ever see again. Right. And um, I, I worry about spiritual drift. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think the pandemic's been good for us. We've seized on some great opportunities at at our church, and and I think it's helped us in some ways. But there's also been spiritual drift, and I, and I think we really got to work against spiritual drift without being legalistic with right. people realistic about the demands on their lives, but just keep pe bringing people back to authentic Jesus centered walking with the Lord and keeping authentic. And I, I think out of that, the third thing is just continuing. I think it's going to be harder to really retrieve in our professional lives because there's so much emphasis on leadership, retrieving that primitive dependence on the Holy spirit ourselves. Yet I find that people are becoming hungry and hungry for that. They're less into hype these days. I feel like our culture is moving in the church away from hype production. They want to meet God. Yeah. And let's not be ashamed of having people meet God. Yeah. Let's do what we do with excellence. But but I, I just think our, our spirituality is set up perfectly for people to meet God. And, and let's yeah. not be ashamed of that. Right. Yeah. Do you feel yeah. so like... Um, I, sorry. No, so those are just kind of the drifts I see yeah, that, I was gonna that ask, were really going to be major leadership challenges for us moving forward. Do you feel like um, a, a return to a more robust approach to discipleship is part of that answer? Yes. Well, yeah, that, that would be at, at, the, at the core of it. Um, the kingdom of God's uh, relational to the core. So mm -hmm. it's more than uh, hearing dazzling music and hearing a good speaker speak. Um, unless we're in relationship with each other in community and there's people in our lives who know how to pray for us specifically and we're wrestling over God's word and how to apply it in small group levels, right. which has been kind of a, a major move forward for our church, especially during the COVID pandemic. Um, I, I just think that that's where the disciple making engine has to be. It's got to be in the real stuff of encountering God's spirit and living in relationship with one another right. and then that's learning right. how to reproduce ourselves spiritually. Hmm. So I do, I do agree. The disciple making engine is the key mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with all of that. <laughs> I see it all. And so, yeah, those are good insights. Okay. As we wrap up, you know, as we've kind of alluded to and talked about here, you know, a lot of pastors and ministry leaders around the country, especially coming out of 2020, are overwhelmed. You know, they've pivoted and had to make such major decisions over the last year. And they're just tired. Um, you know, statistics I've seen is 20% of pastors will leave the ministry over the next year or two. Um, and so if you could sit across the table at a coffee house with each of our listeners, what words of encouragement would you give them 
regarding going the distance in ministry, staying the course, and developing this strong spiritual leadership approach that you talk about in the book. I loved your opening my monologue, and uh, I would quote you probably. <laughs> if I was sitting across the table from the average leader, I'd probably ask them when their last vacation was, mm. whether they're getting a day off a week, and what their sleep habits are. Um, I have found over the years that the symptoms of exhaustion and the symptoms of spiritual warfare, which is another issue, but I find the symptoms of both are very similar. You're always on edge. You just feel discouraged all the time. You're more susceptible to lies. I mean, spirit, times of spiritual warfare bring that and times of exhaustion. Right. I'm, I'm worried about definitely the level of exhaustion yeah. uh, that pastors are walking under. And, and, and also, I, I just, you know, back to what we said earlier, Jesus said, I will build my church, not you. Right. You will build it. And I, I just, if I could encourage pastors to try to walk in step with Jesus' life mm-hmm. and not take all this pressure on ourselves, we'll yeah. do our best. We have our critics. Not everything works out. But, but you know what? That's, that to some degree is God's problem, not my problem. Right. And I just I just had to wrestle with that for years because I used to live under so much driven stress. Like I got to make this happen and I'm a right. failure if I don't. And, uh, you know, if this circle is your life and this circle is is this circle is who I am, this circle is what I do. They have to overlap in ministry, but never let those two circles overlap completely. Because mm-hmm. if the, what I do overlaps completely with who I am, then you've lost yourself. Right. You got to have a life outside of what you're doing yes. in ministry, and, and part of that is where you get permission to take some time off and uh, and get the rest you need, and yeah. and to rely on Jesus, and, I, and and not tie your identity into everything we're doing. Your identity is Jesus. And yes, yes, hmm. so good, so good. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Jim, for being here. Uh, well, thank you. So good to talk to you, man. <laughs> yeah, brings back old times. Thank you, yes. and I'm honored to be able to address your wonderful audience. Thank you. So pastors, if you want to recenter yourself as a ministry leader, and more importantly, just as a child of God, uh, as a follower of Jesus, this book is for you. Uh, uh, I, I, I just can't say it enough. I want to encourage you to, to go out. You can um, go to jimbradford.org uh, and get it there. You can also, uh, at jimbradford.org, you can also find um, Pastor Jim's podcast, his weekly sermons, um, his other book that he wrote, Preaching, maybe it's uh, maybe it is Rocket Science. Um, and so you can check out all of that there at jimbradford.org. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I hope it was wonderful for you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day, and we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>